Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. I am your host, Kurt Flewelling. Lots to talk about today. We are going to talk about the um, vice presidential debate last night. Uh, some big announcements on the second presidential debate. And I did want to get into fairly quickly some of my um, experiences talking to voters that are undecided. And I know when we listen to talk radio and watch television, we get a, uh, I think almost an echo chamber and a very hopeful um, view of what's going on out there. And we, we oftentimes need a real view. And we, we've all kind of heard about some of these silent Trump voters and Trump voters that are scared, scared to uh, tell pollsters who they are. And, and, uh, and I think we kind of believe that stuff and, and we want that to be true if, if you want Donald Trump to be elected. However, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. And I think it's an echo chamber a lot of times on talk radio. But I, I do have a couple of examples that I wanted to go over with you. And then I would urge you, if you um, just want to educate your friends and family on uh, what's going on out there, how you feel that they should vote to impact this culture, some of the ways to go about it, some of the ways not to go about it. So I'm going to uh, discuss that during the show as well. But um, yes, sadly, I had to uh, watch the debate. Uh, full honesty here, I, I watched the first half hour, um, had to do some things, and then came back for the last 10 minutes. So I caught 40 minutes out of 90. Um some of the analysis I heard afterward kind of filled the gaps. So I, I think I'm somewhat qualified to give an opinion on what I saw. Um, I mean, the, the, one of the first questions out of the shoot was kind of weird. Um, have you had a conversation with uh, the president or would be president um, uh, about his disability and his ability to perform duties and what your role is? And, you know, that, that may seem like a, an interesting question. Uh, it is designed in a subtle way to harm um, Donald Trump. However, with all these swirlings about Joe Biden's cognitive abilities, it's actually is a question that kind of can hurt him as well if we peel the onion skin on that one. And both candidates uh, deflected that and did not speak about that and kind of pivoted onto something else which by all assessments is what they both did on many issues, uh, you know, and, and that does occur in debates um, and politicians love to obfuscate and love to pivot and take you where they want you or what, where they would like to go. However, and I've watched a lot of these, I, I really think that the, the, um, the vice president and Kamala Harris really took that to a, a real new level, um, sometimes not even remotely addressing the question that was asked of them by the moderator. And we'll get to her in a moment. But um, I think both of them did that. And it, it, it was it was not done seamlessly or well to the point that uh, many of the post-debate feedback from, <clears throat> excuse me, um, uh, people that watched the debate were um, universally saying that that was um, that was a little annoying. Um, I was surprised at um, Vice President Pence's inability 
to not politely stop when he was supposed to stop. I, I understand some people may call me a little genteel here, but based on the feedback that came in after um, the first debate, I thought Pence would be a little bit, because he is very, very tempered, very professional, very controlled, uh, economic with his words, concise to the point, polite. Um, but he, he did run consistently long, which happens, but he did seem to plow through any urgings of the moderator to stop. And I think she did a good job in, um, just kind of repeating to him, your time's up, your time's up rather than getting into this insane taffy pull like Chris Wallace did the week before, um, taking it to a new level and getting into a debate with Donald Trump, which was really, he really lost his way there. I think even though her questions were quite contrived, subtly contrived, um, in a very sneaky way to make, um, Donald Trump and or Vice President Pence look bad. I think as far as the X's and O's of her managing that situation, and I know the format lent, lent itself to be more manageable, I think she did an infinitely better job, um, even though her questions were skewed, than Chris Wallace did the week before. I can just tell you that. Um, I, I saw Frank Luntz had an interesting uh focus group polling you know he he picked 15 people that were undecided and you know it's up for debate you know who these people are where they're coming from take it with a grain of salt however his um his analysis of the debate in a nutshell after interviewing those subjects was that even though they were very put off by vice president pence's um inability to kind of rein it in as far as his time constraints were concerned that was offset and surpassed by Kamala Harris's smirks and little snarky remarks and um, you could tell if you've studied people like Kamala Harris for a long enough period of time she may have seemed to comport herself very well Um, the smirks according to these individuals and many individuals I spoke to and my own observations, um, the smirks were not helpful. People pick up on that and they don't like smirky, snarky, pissy individuals. They just, they just don't like that. And, um, her comment or excuse me, some of her comments, but basically her facial expressions were not good and I don't know if she can control that. Um, she is someone that can go from zero to 60 very quickly. And, and on COVID, in the beginning of the debate, you did see her turn um, very quickly from uh, pleasant, cordial to rapidly um, attacking uh, Mr. Trump and uh, VP Pence. So I, I could see her going from zero to 60 very quickly. And um, in those moments, she was really not even trying to be tempered. And I think that is something that Vice President Pence, we all kind of knew that was going in was going to be more 
presidential looking um tempered measured conservative excuse the pun and uh she did not do well there but he did not do well in my opinion with running over his time constraints at the end of the day um if if those two things were the the biggest glaring uh outtake or uh, takeaways from the debate i think he won it uh, i don't think either one of them did um terribly i think they they held the water of their their boss if you will pretty well they carried that water pretty well but um where she tended to get into some trouble was um when uh she stepped in it with fracking and court packing and even though her and joe biden particularly in the state of pennsylvania and some other states have an enormous problem with their wild inconsistencies that are caught on tape um, about fracking. Uh, Even though that's the case, Joe Biden is a little bit better because he's been doing this for just about as long as Kamala Harris has been on this earth. He's a little bit better at kind of smoothly being a liar, let's just say it, or disingenuous as, as she, um, is uh you know she she's just not as skilled at it and you would expect that she's she's 55 years old he'll be 78 next month uh she has not been in politics all that long um even though she was um in in somewhat of a political role as a prosecutor in california before she was senator she really hasn't been in politics all that long so um that comes with experience um she was pretty, um, pretty bad on foreign policy, but uh, to be kind to her, most Democrats are terrible on foreign policy. They, they just, that is not their animal. Um, the, the social concerns or the perceived social concerns here domestically tend to be their wheelhouse, um, for the most part. And when they wade into foreign policy are forced to, they have trouble. So it was not surprising that she had trouble in that area as well. I can tell you in here in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, and we, we've chronicled this on the show many times, as far as uh, Trump's game plan or strategy to um, expand his base and not just speak to his base and find those voters to the tune of 2,000 here, 5,000 there, 4,000 there, and then just slowly offset the the massive Democrat numbers in, in Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and the suburbs. Um, going with that, the fracking thing is going to be a problem. And it, it really, you don't have to be a, a, a crackerjack Republican strategist or marketing person to um, show the myriad of videos and audio of both of them. Uh, when they talk to their base, they say they will ban fracking. And when they talk to the rest of us and and uh, people that are um, undecided or of reasonable thought, they may not be environmental whack jobs, um, they say quite another thing. And all you really have to do is juxtapose those videos against one another in rural areas in Ohio and uh, Pennsylvania and West Virginia and 
and wherever they uh, do fracking, uh, Pennsylvania seems to be the epicenter uh, of a lot of things and as far as this election is concerned. But you run that ad in rural Pennsylvania and it ain't going to go well for you uh, if you are a Democrat. And that's probably what they are fast and furiously doing right now. And it's going to be effective. Um, as I said before, both candidates um, pivoted a lot and did not answer a lot of questions. Um, and to the moderator's credit, she didn't, you know, press them. She kind of let them be who they were. Now, I'm, I'm not uh, faulting Chris Wallace for pressing one candidate or another in not answering the question, but he took it to a new level to the point where he lost his way as a moderator and started to get into personally debating whomever did not answer the question. And that's just not his place. Um, so those are my thoughts on the debate uh, last night. I think both sides did what they wanted to do. No major hiccups. Um, and we'll see. Uh, I, I think where Kamala Harris has a big problem because last night I, I did see her start to go from zero to 60 pretty quickly. And, and she, she did rein it in to a degree, but where she's in a pickle, she's in a little bit of a box is when this Amy Coney Barrett um, hearing will happen and it will happen either live or virtually she is going to be charged with being the pit bull if you will and going after this lady now by all accounts I don't care if you're Democrat Republican lover or hater she's a sweetheart of a lady she has a charming story and her bona fides as a um, uh, a jurist are, are just unassailable. She, she's extraordinarily bright and she, her record is just what it is. And you really would not have much of a problem with her personally or professionally. That being said, you can't take one of the um, usual suspect attack dogs on the left and slap her metaphorically in a in a question and answer you just can't do it it doesn't look good all the um the crap that you could sling at kavanaugh or uh justice thomas or bork or any of these people you just can't do when there is a um a man interviewing a woman uh unless of course it's hillary clinton and we won't go into the reasons for that but um so Kamala Harris is probably going to be charged with going after her. And that's not going to end well for Kamala Harris in any way you slice it. She is intellectually inferior to Amy Coney Barrett. Um, the facts are clearly on Amy Coney Barrett's side. Um, you can't make it up and start slinging and, and, and you know, um, just doing the wild emotional things that Democrats do and Kamala Harris does in particular and and think that it's going to work on Amy Coney Barrett. So that that's not going to be a good optic. Um, she has been charged to try to assail her. Um, it's going to be no avail. The votes are there. The only thing it can really do, um, and I know these guys want to placate their base, the only thing it can really do at the end of the day is is harm her um add more material 
for future ads uh, in, in middle America. Um, this is what this lady did to this poor lady here. She's wildly qualified. This lady was attempting to slap her around. It's not going to look good. It's not going to end well. And um, so Democrats are in a pickle. They know that it, it doesn't look well, but they also are beholding to the radical factions in their party that absolutely um, don't like to play politics. They like to burn it all down, as evidenced by AOC last night tweeting immediately after um, Kamala Harris said, we're not going to ban fracking. And she just tweeted out, fracking's bad. Um, That's her way of saying, you know, we're going to be breathing down your neck if you get elected and um, and don't think you can make comments like this. So that is my two cents worth about the debate. Um, something that just came up this morning that was interesting to me, not surprising. Uh, this is from the Washington Examiner. Second Trump-Biden debate will be virtual. Next week's presidential debate between President Trump and Joe Biden will be a virtual format. But with the president saying that he would not participate in a virtual format, it is not clear that the debate will take place at all. The second presidential debate will take the form of a town meeting in which the candidates would participate from separate remote locations. The Commission on Presidential Debates said in a statement Thursday morning in reference to the October 15th debate. Um, Noteworthy there, they did not refer to them as the nonpartisan commission on presidential debates, which is what most liberals uh, do in order to try to uh, cloak this uh, commission in some degree of objectivity. And I've heard many say this for years, and it is really about time to do this. Um, let the two uh, candidates and their um, entourage or their faction, uh, if you will, work this out. Uh, it, it is a joke that the Commission on Presidential Debates is in the middle of this and is um, is feigning that they are nonpartisan. They're extraordinarily partisan. The fact that most of these debates up until very recently, all of these debates were were moderated by uh, liberals with conflicts of interest on major news networks is is really all the proof you need that it's not um, nonpartisan. But um, this is a very partisan act when they come up with this thing has to be virtual. Um, so we go on here. It says the change in format made in order to protect the health. It's always about the health and safety of all involved with the second presidential debate follows the fact that the president tested positive for the coronavirus last week, just two days after he debated the Democrat presidential nominee, potentially exposing Biden to the virus. Um, So the nonpartisan commission puts out a very provocative, inflammatory, emotionally charged statement. Um, They go on to say the town meeting participants and the moderator, Steve Scully, senior executive producer and political editor, C-SPAN Networks, will be located at the Adrian Arsht Center for Performing Arts of Miami-Dade County in Miami. The White House pool will provide coverage of the second presidential debate, um, the commission said. 
the debate commission statement conspicuously did not include a statement that both campaigns had agreed to the format. And this is why soon after the announcement, Trump said that he would not participate in a virtual debate. No, I'm not going, these are Trump's words. I'm not going to waste my time on a virtual debate. The president said in a Fox business interview Thursday morning, that's not what debating is all about. You sit behind a computer and do a debate. It's ridiculous. And then they cut you off whenever they want to. Um, He's right. And this is again, um, another attempt to shortchange you and I of uh, a vetting of these two candidates. And you have to scratch your head and wonder why, Uh, you know, the, the, the common denominator with all liberals out there, and I'm sure you know this, but it, it bears repeating is hypocrisy. Um, when the stakes are very, very high with, um, conducting a hearing to um, vet Amy Coney Bryant. And when folks on that Judiciary Committee are positive for COVID, and when Mitch McConnell and other Republican leaders forward an alternative, well, we can hold the, the hearings virtually. That is summarily railed uh, against by Chuck Schumer et al., saying the and and i quote the the um the import of these um, supreme court justice hearings is so uh, great that we cannot do it virtually we have to do it right we have to do it in person yet these same democrats and 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 sympathizers with democrats the commission on presidential debates says that we can't have a presidential debate uh, virtually, or well, they 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 suggest it to to be virtual. Well, if you're suggesting that something is important as a presidential debate, which it is quite important, and people there are still people out there that use those those things to uh, make up their mind. If if the import of that is so great, and you can do that virtually, why can't you uh, hold the hearings on Amy Coney Bryant virtually? You see what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, when when it is to your disadvantage to hold something virtually, you don't want to hold it virtually. But when it is to your advantage to hold it virtually, then virtual meetings are okay. Do you see how stupid this is? How how you should very easily understand that, even though you may not be a political junkie or whatever, you don't have to have a lot of brain cells to understand that. You just take a common sense 50,000 foot view of this and see one side railing against a virtual hearing for Amy Coney Barrett for something very, very important, but then welcoming a virtual debate between Donald Trump and Joe Biden for something that many people would contend is, is as uh, equal uh, of importance. So, um, look, um, the CDC backed off their um, quarantine numbers. Uh, it used to be 14 days if you are um, affected by the corona. You have the coronavirus. They would like you to um, to, to lay low for 14 days, and then um, and and for that matter, it, it doesn't really have to be 14 days. Um, 
uh, if you are symptom-free, fever-free. Um, that's usually how it is with most viruses. But um, they back that off to 10 days. On October 15th, that will be a full two weeks from the time Donald Trump was um, tested positive for the COVID-19 virus. And um, two weeks is plenty. But if you want to play that game and and do the crazy plexiglass thing like you saw last night, um, Donald Trump can very easily be um, escorted in uh, in a very um, propped up uh, behind his uh, lectern with nobody anywhere near him. You can put up your your plexiglass in front of him and your plexiglass in front of Joe Biden and put them 20 feet away. Now, any epidemiologist, any um, scientist, any healthcare provider that you know, that if all of those precautions were taken 14 days out of an asymptomatic um, man that did have COVID, but is is uh, well on his way of, and, and the, the blood work bears out that he has antibodies to this developing in his system as we speak, to put that person 20 feet away from someone else with plexiglass, there is a 0.0000 chance that this stubborn coronavirus is going to um, miraculously uh, emerge back into Donald Trump's system, bore a hole through the plexiglass, and um, do a, a long jump of 20 feet and and uh, infect um, Don or uh, Joe Biden. It's just not going to happen. Anybody that's reasonable, our friends on the left always want us to go back to the science. There's absolutely no scientist worth his or her salt that would say if all those precautions were in place that anybody, um, particularly Joe Biden, was at risk or danger. Um, but that's logical thinking. And they, they're not into logical thinking. Uh, sad to say, ladies and gentlemen, there is a fair amount of people out there. They may not be listening to this show, but they're, they're listening to a lot of shows. These are the guys that go on 30-mile um, car rides with um, no multiple stops from A to B. Nobody's in the car and they have double masks on because um, their favorite politician told them they were going to die if they did not do it. So I, I wish the amount of people that uh, think like that are few, but sad to say, and, and you really don't have to go too much farther than suburban Philadelphia to see this with your own eyes. There's a lot of people jogging in um in the woods alone with masks on up to their eyeballs and down to their uh aorta with uh you know triple masks on they're they're sad sad to say ladies and gentlemen there's a lot of people like that and for those people um you no amount of plexiglass no amount of proper handling and proper distancing of an asymptomatic um uh, non-contagious man would be sufficient for them. And it does beg the question, and I and I know Donald Trump's pretty effective of turning things around on the left, and here's a tip if he listens to Reshaping America. You know, maybe you should turn this around and, and just say, you know, there have been a lot of people infected with this virus. Are we all going to treat them like lepers 
when in reality, once they clear a certain uh, point in time, that they have every right to be free and access themselves to whatever uh, work or socialization or whatever, as, as much as their Orwellian government will let them. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Donald Trump turned this around and, and you know, attempted to turn himself and, and hundreds of thousands of other people that have been affected by this virus into sympathetic figures. Um, and he could very um, easily do that. So um, we're going to pivot a little bit from uh, from uh, the debates and everything. One thing I, I did think, what I just saw it in front of me here, and um, I did neglect to mention this, but it was a great line, and I have to comment on it because, again, um, you know, we're, we're broadcasting out of Philadelphia here, and if you go around suburban Philadelphia, you would be pretty worried because there are a, a ton of biden harris signs i'm not gonna lie to you um but there is one sign that really irks me uh that is a biden harris sign it it, it promotes joe biden and it says truth over lies and there are yard signs and they're everywhere and i often think of you know what what is the epicenter or what is what is one of the the most egregious examples of lying um and, and take your pick with Joe Biden. We could we could do five, 10, 20 shows on that. But you know, off the top of my head, what really comes to my mind is is something that happened years ago when he was caught plagiarizing, and he's done it many times. If, if you're a plagiarist, you are a liar at the at the corner at the at the core of your being. You are submitting work to whomever, um, the public, a. Um, a uh, somebody that's interviewing you a professor and you're putting out that body of work and you're saying to any of those people that this is my body of work when you stayed up late diligently ripping off somebody else's uh words and that is that is the in my opinion my humble opinion that is the uh you could not have a greater example of, of what lying is all about. So the, the signs truth over lies really bug me. And, um, there was, uh, there was an exchange there. I think, uh, vice president Pence was very, very slick and professional and tactful and, um, didn't do it in a nasty way, but it says here in this article, Pence who leads the administration's coronavirus task force, quickly defended Trump's restriction on travel from China and pointed out that Biden opposed them. When I look at their plan that talks about advancing testing, creating new PPE, developing a vaccine, it looks a little bit like plagiarism. Pregnant pause, which is something Joe Biden knows a little bit about. That was beautiful. And, you know, you could say that's going to be wasted on the garden variety person that really, you know, doesn't know that about Joe Biden. And and perhaps, you know, that that's a good point as well. You know, I, I thought it was pretty common knowledge that he was a plagiarist, but you know, your average 25 year old, 20 year old, 30 year old, 40 year old, uh, blue collar worker might not know that. And I think that was a really cool, tactful way to, uh, to just kind of throw that out there. Um, Um, what I wanted to do now, which was really interesting, I um, 
I'm going to read a fair amount in a minute of uh, an article from Real Clear Politics. This is a lady we've referred to on this show several times, and many people have as well. She was pretty hot commodity after she was one of the first uh, journalists to really pick up on something brewing in 2016 with the Donald Trump phenomenon, particularly in the Rust Belt or in the Mid-Atlantic states as well. Um, her name is Celinda Zito, and this is an article in Real Clear Politics, and I'm, I'm going to read a little bit of it um, later, but, I, but I, it, it did kind of spur me into wanting to talk about a couple of uh, interactions I had with, uh, with voters um, out there that, you know, um, maybe the pollsters have missed. This article says, can Trump repeat his 2016 win in Pennsylvania? Um, who votes is is the key to that, and that's what the article is titled. And um, for those of you that don't know, Celinda Zito um, saw something wrong with the polls in 2016 that had Hillary Clinton consistently up on um, uh, Donald Trump in in the Rust Belt states, and particularly in Pennsylvania and Ohio. And she traversed the state of Pennsylvania and just. She just in in her travels, she just saw too many Trump Pence signs to be ignored. And it wasn't just, you know, um, the great unwashed or farmers out there that nobody in the liberal media cares about. It was just everywhere. So she started peeling the onion and talking to a lot of these people and trying to uh, figure out what was going on. And she would tell everybody it's not it's not as much of a runaway as the polls would would have uh, led you to believe in 2016, and she was correct. So she is following up on that, and she is analyzing many of the uh, districts in uh, Pennsylvania and the counties and, and trying to see if Trump can once again uh, pull this off in Pennsylvania. Um, so I, I will get to that article in a minute, but I did I did not want to run out of time so I wanted to give a fair amount of time to uh, just a couple anecdotal observations. Um, we, we all hear and we we heard on Reshaping America last show that there is a there a very much of a, um, a disagreement slash disrespect of uh, of the viewpoint that there are more voters out there. Um, as, as folks on the left would, would say, more great unwashed out there that could vote for Donald Trump, that did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016, saw his record, and they may have been hesitant to vote for him then, or really quite apolitical, and now they're voting for him. Uh, CNN, MSNBC, all the usual suspects have very much not reported on this, and if they did, just simply discounted this and, and, and broke it down into a, um, a a mathematical impossibility for Trump to adopt a strategy of going to rural hamlets in many of these swing states and and um, expanding on his base. Um, their thought process heretofore is, you know, he's got about 42% of the people out there they're deranged. They're deplorable. Um, thank God. No, wait a minute. They don't thank God for anything. Thank goodness, in their words, not mine, that that number is mercifully not higher. And if we just get out our crazies in the city and the suburbs, 
we will counteract any uh, slim victories that Donald Trump had in 2016. So that is, that is the view of the liberal media. Now, Trump has taken a different tact. And as I said before, he has gone after uh, these counties that went wildly for him and some that went for Barack Obama before. And he's tried to expand on this. I'm for the little guy thing. I'm for expansion of the middle class, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now they just think the numbers aren't there and he thinks that they are. So, um, with that as a backdrop, I'll, I, I'm, I'm going to chronicle a couple of people that I ran into in the last few days. And the reason I'm going to do this is if you are a Trump supporter um, and you look at the, the poll numbers uh, last week, 14% down, 16% down, they're, they're absolutely ridiculous. They, they are flawed in their science, and but they are designed to discourage you. And if you don't heed my suggestion of just trying to pick off two or three or four voters and concentrate on them, see what makes them tick, perhaps persuade them to voting in a manner that is consistent uh, with you know your ideals or ideals of conservatism, or dare I say, the ideals of a faith-based voter. Um, I think you're missing it if you're, if you're discouraged by what you see. I know a lot of people, hey, what can I do? I'm just going to vote. Um, don't really like Trump, don't really like Biden. I'm going to vote for the rest, lesser of two evils for the 10th time in a row. And then I'm going to go back to work. Well, that's fine. But the last statistic I saw, 56% of eligible voters in this country vote. That means 44% don't. That is, that is an enormous number of people. And, and just go to... Um, Iraq when we liber when we liberated them uh, or or you know got rid of Saddam Hussein years ago and they had their first you know at least quasi fair and free elections 90% turnout 95% turnout that's crazy i mean that that's what it should be so if you can get to people that you feel should be voting and if Donald Trump's your guy and you want them to vote for Donald Trump, I, I, I think you have to you have to do what we all should do whenever we interact with anybody. And that is just simply listen. So my, my first story is I, I encountered this woman and I'll give you her profile. Um and you know if you're a Trump supporter may may give you um some encouragement in, in a, in a, in a media where it doesn't look like he's going to win. It looks like he's got troubles all around him. So, um, this woman is not a religious woman. You, those of you that know me, I hate that word, but for the purposes of our discussion here, I'll use it. She is not a religious woman. She's highly educated. She has an advanced degree. Uh, she has a very high position, um, in the business world. And uh, in addition to that, she's street smart. Um, she's a Philadelphia uh, girl. And um, as I said, she's middle-aged. She's white. Um, her husband is black. And um, she did not vote for Donald Trump in 2016. So there's the backdrop. There's the demographic that we have. Um, her reasons for not voting for Donald Trump in 2016. 
her words, not mine. I, I just thought he was wacky. I thought he was whacked. I never vote for Hillary. I'm not really into politics, but I thought he was a lunatic. So I just didn't vote for um, either of them. Um, her husband, uh, African-American, raised voting for Democrats, will clearly vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris this election cycle. Um, she says, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it, when he, right now, he thinks I'm just kind of laying low and not into it. And when he finds out I'm going to vote for Donald Trump, um, that's going to be a little bit of a interesting evening or week or month. But, um, she said, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. But when I started talking to her, this is what I want to get across to you. We all hear of the silent Trump voter or the embarrassed Trump voter, um, and we just think, well, that, that's a few people. But, um, you know, I, I'm running into more and more and more people that may not be Donald Trump fans. They may not have voted for him in t- 2016. But this lady is certainly one of those embarrassed or, or Trump voters that's not going to wear it on her sleeve, certainly not going to put a yard sign out. But she is clearly voting for Donald Trump. This is a vote for Donald Trump that he did not get in 2016. And I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that that scenario is replicating itself throughout Pennsylvania and many other municipalities in this country. Uh, it, it was interesting that she kind of closed the door of her office a little bit when I was talking to her and her decibel level went down. <laughs> so she was obviously, and and she did out and out say this, like if, if my colleagues hear me, it's not going to be good. So she was in the belly of the beast, if you will, but she shut the door or almost shut it, kind of spoke in hushed tones and then proceeded to just be honest. She just said, I come from a family of law enforcement and military and I'm not a political person. I'll get to why that statement's very accurate. She said something at the end of our conversation that really would, um, you know, uh, back that claim up. She said, I'm not a political person, but I see the craziness in the streets. I see the craziness in Philadelphia and to defund the police and be hostile toward the police and, and to be hostile toward the military and is just is just not right uh, from a personal standpoint that affects her personally with all her family members being in those two uh, areas. But, but certainly she just said, look, I'm not crazy about Trump, but I don't think Joe Biden is strong enough for the job, up for the job. These are some pretty crazy chaotic times. And I'm pretty confident from what I've seen being an apolitical animal here that Donald Trump is clearly for law enforcement and clearly a fan of the military. And that's why I'm voting for him. And I, I just, you know, I, I think what you have to do when you want to educate somebody or get a true opinion is don't come at them hard charging. What are you crazy? Why you, you know, Joe Biden is this and Donald Trump's that. I, I, I think if you, come at this as as a, uh, a just a blatant hack for Donald Trump, which many in the conservative media are, um, and you're just not objective. Anything he does is gold. Anything that he does that is not consistent with the word of God uh, is just, we don't talk about it. 
that's not right either. I think if you come to these discussions asking questions, not having your conservatism on your sleeve or your republicanism on your sleeve, I think you'll get a lot of honest answers from people. And you also will get... um, you'll get some dialogue going. So if you do want to get a point across in a, in a loving, uh, factual, non-confrontational way, you can do that. But, you know, uh, waving a Trump flag at somebody and calling somebody an idiot because they are undecided or um, are not going to vote for Trump is not the way to change this culture. So um, lastly, as it pertains to this lady, she said, yeah, a friend of mine has been talking to me in addition to the reasons she gave me before, but he's really tipped me over um, the, the edge on Donald Trump. You know, he's a religious guy, and she didn't know I was a Christian. She didn't know I was uh, 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 a conservative. But um, she said, yeah, he's a religious guy. And did you know, like she's educating me now, did you know like religious people are largely for Republicans? I didn't know that. Now, she said that. Now, to you and I and political junkies out there and faith-based voters out there, you would almost kind of grin and scratch your head like, where have you been living under a rock? 89% of evangelicals vote for Republicans. Not that they're conservative, but it is, you know, at least their platform alludes to God and they have not scrubbed God from the platform uh, such as Democrats. But to this lady, um, you know, reinforcing her statement that she is an apolitical animal. She did not know that religious people hate that word, but largely vote for Republicans. Um, This is interesting. This, this gentleman who she respects, I don't know what his denomination is. I don't even know what his relationship with Jesus Christ is, but for the most part, this is a man that, votes consistent to what his ideals are and and presumably if he is a Christian they are Christ-like ideals and he's influencing slash um, uh, educating someone that is heretofore apolitical to vote for who he feels you know she should vote for now again this is probably a good time to say I have had plenty of problem with Donald Trump over the years, um, you know, using the Bible as a prop, acting in a very unChrist-like manner. Uh, I, I don't think he is a paragon of Christianity by any stretch, but in these crazy times, um, the alternative, which is a party that is hostile toward God and a party and a candidate that has an executive and legislative record of being hostile to many principles that Christ um, is down with is is certainly a chilling proposition. So if if this quote unquote religious individual is persuading this apolitical individual to vote for Donald Trump in the state of Pennsylvania, I think that's very telling. I think that situation is is replicating itself more than the liberal media would lead you to believe. And I just thought I would throw that out there as some degree of encouragement to you if you are a Donald Trump supporter and you feel that uh, he's losing Pennsylvania. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Second person was, um, again, a middle-aged man. Um, 
he is an African-American. Um, he has consistently voted um, for Democrats his whole entire life. Um, but, and here's where the presentation or the influencing at the cocktail party or the backyard barbecue or wherever is more important than the substance with which you and I are speaking about. He has a girlfriend. He's had a longstanding girlfriend who is uh, a Republican, but someone that is unabashedly in defense of Donald Trump at every turn. He cannot do anything wrong. She is virulent. She is one of those people that, how in the world can you vote for Democrat? And, and I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I met people like this that have voted for Barack Obama just to spite the vitriolic people around them that are um, just so dedicated to an R or so dedicated to a, an individual that they lose sight of whatever their real principles either are or should be. So he is very much someone that's already a Democrat and watches CNN and has a girlfriend that really her, her way of persuasion is uh, leads a lot to be desired. And he called me and talked to me for a while. And he just said, you know, I respect you and your opinions. I'm confused about who to vote for. Now, again, if, if this, if you're not careful, you could really get all sanctimonious and say, what do you mean confused? If, if you don't know who this guy is and who that guy is and what's at stake in this culture, you're an idiot. What, what are you living under a rock? No, that's not how you persuade people. I said, well, um, I'm at your disposal. Anything I can do to help you um, with your decision, and he's a Christian, and he knows I'm a Christian, um, I'm here for you, bud. And I started the conversation by asking questions and validating people's opinions and not throwing bricks at their heads or hitting them over the head with gold-plated Bibles, as many of us do. I said, what's important to you? And he said, well, I've, I've seen the craziness in the streets. And one thing that's really wrangling me is um, where in his area of the world, uh, bail reform is a big issue where uh, people that law enforcement have risked their life to apprehend and process are not being held for any degree of time whatsoever behind bars, even though they pose a clear threat to you and I and everybody else, uh, all under the guise of bail reform. So they, they are not uh, required to post any degree of bail. They are processed and they swing back out on the street to perpetrate more crime against honest citizens that are stupid enough to play by the rules. That irks him. And he got into the political fray, at least paying attention by that issue alone. And so this is where we start, ladies and gentlemen. You ask people, what's important to you? And that was important. So I went down a methodical process of telling him which party supports that, why they support it, how it is cloaked in being compassionate to innocent victims, innocent till proven guilty, right? And um, how under the guise of those two aforementioned things, 
dangerous people are being let back out on the street. Um, and I, I explained to him who promotes that. And then we went into some other issues and I, I didn't data dump all over him for the, the short period of time I had with him, 20, 25 minutes. But I said, Hey, let's, let's, uh, I enjoyed our discussion when we both have some more time. Why don't we discuss some of the other issues that I feel are important to Jesus and that are important to me, but particularly I want to know what's important to you in addition to this issue here. He will get back to me and he will talk about abortion. He will talk about uh, oppressive taxation that destroys the family. Um, he will talk about a, a abject disrespect for the law, which is what we kind of talked about um, the other day. And systematically, I am going to win him over, not necessarily because I'm, I'm on a mission to get Donald Trump elected, but I want people to think for themselves. And I can tell you, not to pat myself on the back, but my approach with this gentleman is a heck of a lot better than his girlfriend's approach, which is, what are you, nuts? What are you, crazy? What are you, blind? Uh, people don't respond well to insults. Okay, um, to me that's common sense, but um, to some people, um, and, and we'll just take this into leading people to Christ. Some people have a, I am going to hit you upside the head with a gold-plated Bible, and you're going to come to Jesus, you know, by root of sledgehammer. And you know, do I think that there are people out there that have heard the gospel? Eight million times and are impervious to it and they do need to be um, hit upside the head with a gold-plated Bible? Yes, I do. But as a matter of course, that is not the way you persuade somebody or educate them or present the gospel to them. And to a lesser extent, but somewhat similar, you don't do that when you're arguing issues of the day or you want to change the culture. Um one way or another, you uh, you get more flies with honey than vinegar, right, ladies and gentlemen? So check yourself. It, it's okay to be righteously indignant. It's in, okay to be passionate. Um, it's hard to rein your emotions in when you see wrong all around you or you see people that you heretofore respected that have somebody's bumper sticker or sign in their yard of some person that doesn't share their values, but you got to check yourself. You got to do this one or two or three or four people at a time. And if we all do that, we're going to be okay. This is Kurt Flewelling. This has been Reshaping America. Until next week, have a great day.